Well, we're back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm just, I, I literally stuttered right before we hit record and I was like, well, are you okay? Um, but it was because I just realized that because we're recording this on Zoom and Omicron is destroying New York City right now. Um, my Zoom background is like my work background that I put on as a joke for one of my clients. And I realized I never changed it. Uh, so I currently have a background of like, snow and like a holiday oh, theme like einstein Christmas. einstein at the back there for yep. <laughs> it's funny because my my work we use we just like enabled the uh einstein search in um oh, in salesforce in salesforce <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'll do it that'll do it so that's my background right now on zoom you can't see it but i literally did a double take right after i hit record um right before it so anyway welcome back ladies and gentlemen um it's good to be back I think we said in our last podcast, a lot of changes coming, a lot of positives coming. Rihanna and I are just continuing on in life. You know what I mean? I feel like I was just, I was just complaining to Rihanna about like, I can't do another lockdown. Not because like, I don't think it's the right thing to do. And obviously safety is important. I have no doubt about that. Just mentally, like the idea of being locked inside again, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't, I need to go outside. Um, even if it's sitting outside for like all day. Even if it's in the freezing cold, I'm okay with that. But anyway, well, well I, I think you, I think you'll be um, pleasantly informed. I, I don't think we'll, I don't think it'll be, I don't think we'll ever go back to what it was at the very beginning. No, like that, no. I mean, I don't think we're going back to uh, archaic <laughs> things like that. <laughs> like, thankfully, because there are vaccines available in the least now. Yeah, that's um, true. but. Yeah, I mean, feels like we'll go. There's a possibility of some sort of. We're already kind of seeing in New York here where, um, a lot more places are going back to mask mandates inside, and I think um, I think that it was like a state mandate as well for, um, wearing masks, um, indoors if you, if you're not vaccinated or or. Or restaurants just not allowing people to sit indoors at all now. Um, it's it's if confusing, if quite honestly. Vaccinated, but yeah, I all I know is that I will be inside until I go home for the holidays, which is very shortly, and then I will uh, come back and celebrate with my friends in a safe and regulated space. Because despite uh, what's it called, I guess despite the fact that everyone's vaccinated, you know things like that, um, I don't want to get sick just being sick in general sucks yeah so. <laughs> yeah because now i mean i think one of my coworkers was saying this and totally agree it's like the big thing now is like not even necessarily being sick like for people who are vaccinated i should at least say that um not even necessarily being sick but more like the someone you know that got covid or, or or you end up getting covered through you know just being unlucky like someone at work or something like that um the thing that sucks the most now is the isolating is like okay yeah. now this means <laughs> like for the most part i'm gonna be okay like as as we've seen uh, i think in a lot of the stats like the hospitalizations have been mostly um going up for people who are unvaccinated so if you're vaccinated for the most part symptoms wise you're gonna be okay but it's like the <laughs> just sitting alone it's the yeah, yeah so like you're, you're basically going back into the beginning of, of covid 
for like yeah. seven to ten days and it's just like all the other stuff that comes with that's like how when you the older you get the more it sucks to have like a broken bone or a broken arm yeah. or thing. like you're younger yeah. it's like oh this is great no school all this uh-huh. stuff but now <laughs> it's, it's like a like, snow day yeah yeah but now like you know you get injured you get sick it's like yeah oh, okay i can't really do anything and things are just harder to do now it's yeah. just like affecting the entirety of my life so true a hundred percent so true so true but we'll get through it yeah we'll get I through think, it. i think we gotta gotta be helpful it's hard it's hard when it's getting cold well i know not everywhere not, not getting everywhere. cold yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i barely, barely gotten cold in new york here we had 60 degrees for like two straight days this I week know. so um but yeah winter's winter's tough and especially as we saw last year covid times it's it can be very, very tough. So just got to hope for the best. So, We're trying to make it through. <laughs> Hopefully I get to see, I was, the last thing I'll say is I've not seen Rian in person in like a month, both of the pro as a product of COVID protocol. I feel like I'm talking like about the NBA, but like COVID and <laughs> like work and life. So after the holidays, um, yeah, we got to hang out and do something because otherwise I'll go crazy. Anyway, I digress. Rian, I think we have footballing things to discuss. It's been a while since I've gotten a chance to vent about what is left of my shell of a team. Your team has been on a downward spiral for the last four games. Um, And seemingly elsewhere, I don't really know what to make of the top four race in in England, which is where we're going to be starting, if you did not get that gist. But we're going to be starting the Premier League. Rian, after today's game, and we're recording on Sunday, excuse me, Sunday, what is it, December 19th, right after the Liverpool Spurs game, I don't really know what to make of the top four anymore. I don't know what to make, or I should say the top three, and then maybe the top four. We'll see. But over the last month, I feel like a lot has transcended in terms of a gap opening up, not between the top three and the rest of the league but in between the top three now, which is not something I think you and I expected. So I'm curious on your opinion, heading into kind of the end of the year and headed into 2022, we're passing kind of the midway point of the season. Who is now your favorite to win the title? I, I think you, you made a good point there with the, um, the gap opening up in between you know, the top three itself, because I think going into this weekend, the gap between third and fourth was seven points. Um, it's now six points. Uh, sorry, it was eight points going into this week. Sorry. Um, eight points between Chelsea and Arsenal, which was third and fourth. Still, that's still third and fourth place. But now the gap is six points. And now for the first time this season, the gap between third and fourth and the gap between first and third are the same um, city putting together one of those runs again, <laughs> like just once again, putting together one. Of those, we're, we're going on what? Eight games unbeaten. Eight now? games unbeaten. Yeah. Um, and I believe seven, seven of those are wins. So they're, they're healthy, getting healthy again. Obviously big thing is, is Kevin De Bruyne coming back. But they're also, you know, avoiding <laughs> some unlucky situations that have happened, at least with Chelsea and, and Liverpool. I, I, basically, for Liverpool, 
they were more or less before you before you say anything else no one else can see this because i'm the only one looking at your face but you know that like arthur meme where he's just clenching his fist yeah that's you right now i like i can see it in your face as you talk about you. continue but i just want to <laughs> no I, it it's sucks from a chelsea um <laughs> yeah, supporter yeah. point of view it just sucks um but no, I think like even when you look at Liverpool, basically up until this week, uh, Virgil van Dijk and Fabinho both testing positive for COVID this week, missing their last two games. Um, you saw it even today you know, in the Tottenham game where hats off to Tottenham. They played. I didn't get to watch most of the first half and or sorry, the entire first half and most of the second half. I only got to catch the last 20 or so minutes. Um, but Tottenham over the last few weeks have been looking more competent and and a competent team with that talent playing against Liverpool who are missing key players um having to start an academy player academy graduate in the midfield because Tiago I think himself also has tested positive for COVID Tiago who's now become like who by basically as soon as he got a run of games where he's not injured or sick or whatever <laughs> You know, it's 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 pretty obvious that he makes that team better. And I think there's an argument that not today, but an argument to be made that this team is pro is on paper better than the one that won the league two years ago. But I'll leave that for another day. Um, all this to be said, Manchester City, for me, I think, are the favorites um, now. And most of it has to do with <laughs> they've got the best squad the best squad in the world, like by a lot. Um, they can feel two full starting 11s. Like if someone's Kevin De Bruyne, basically was non-existent for the first 14 games of the season. And Bernardo Silva basically took over that, took that load and has looked arguably the best midfielder in the league. So it's just the, the depth, like even if they do have a couple injuries or if they're, if they do come through some sort of, uh, mini crisis with COVID, you just bet on them more than Chelsea or Liverpool to be able to ride it out. Like this, what's been most impressive about them, I think, has been their def- their defending. Honestly, like we know they dominate possession, and that's kind of been their first motive. That is the reason why they're so good at defending right now because they're dominating possession. Um, their opponents have the least touches in the league this season. Um, Can I make a comment on that? Because yeah, I, I'll. It isn't necessarily challenging that thought process because, I mean, ultimately my answer to the original question is who the favorite is the same. But when it comes to defensive structure, I guess defensive solidity, I'm not going to push back and say that they have not been good defensively. But I will say I feel like they have been more open on the counterattack than previously before. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking about down the wing because I don't Mm. like, I always thought Zinchenko, for example, was a weak point, but I feel like more recently kind of in the half spaces you've seen, I think this, like I had this thought process. It must've been during the Wolves game a little bit more where I thought that generally, like I I started to get the sense that teams were exploiting the half spaces a little bit more. Mm. I don't, I don't have a statistic to say like, oh, all of a sudden I feel like teams are exploiting Manchester City. That's not my point because, yes, they have conceded the least number of touches in their own half, but I think that's largely due to the fact that teams only exclusively play on the counterattack. 
against yeah him too. Oh, absolutely and yeah of course that, that just comes with possession having unbelievable midfielders that can keep the mm-hmm. ball no matter what um but then you, they've they've also only allowed six shots per game so this is like right it's it's tough they're leading the league and they're leading all teams in the big five leagues in terms of expected goals allowed as well too so it's it, i i get what you're saying where there there probably is of course there's always space um when you when you play so high up like that but the important thing is that they're not allowing any real chances any real quality chances and Liverpool obviously are amazing in their own sense averaging almost three goals per game and have the best player in the world right now and Mo Salah who just like another level 24 goals and assists in 18 games so far um the most goal contributions of any player in Europe's top five but obviously not good enough for the FIFA Pro World 11 shortlist even <laughs> so he's not was, on danny alves's this, level this, yeah, 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 yeah. So. this the only comment i'll make on that is that was i believe a player voted thing so that's that seems even worse than honestly know, it know, seems know, like they don't watch any i mean that that doesn't that doesn't explain danny alves or sergio busquets <laughs> being on that shortlist um i'm in big trouble <laughs> but uh yeah i think i think i think City are my are my favorites. I think Liverpool are have to be second favorites. Um, we'll see what happens with Afcon if it if it happens in the first place, and if it does, um, those players that go away obviously it's going to be a big miss for Liverpool. And I think just to touch on Chelsea at the end here, what they're missing most, um, obviously the injuries and and COVID has pretty much depleted their midfield um, to the point where. Trevo Chalaba was chosen to start in midfield over Saul this game. And again, don't, we don't need to touch on Saul uh, today. Yeah, that yeah. can be a conversation for, that could be even a conversation offline for you and me, Elliot, because <laughs> I believe that my team was sold a lemon. Yeah, yeah um, offline. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think the biggest the biggest um, thing for Chelsea is missing, which I, I tweeted about, is the Chilwell injury. Um. It's it, the the drop off between him and Marcus Alonso has been really felt in these uh, these last few games. I, I think just one of the biggest things, Choel's ability to make runs in behind and get into the box, is a big difference between what's um, what has been going on since uh, Marcus Alonso's come back into the lineup. But I think you and I are on the same page, Elias. Manchester City probably the, I mean, have to be the yeah. favorite right now i mean they're the betting favorites obviously they're i think they'd be everyone's favorite at the moment so. yep and the only thing that i could say that might throw a wrench in um that potential or uh, not a potential prediction but that prediction is city played liverpool and liverpool are only i believe three points off city yeah. city played liverpool april 9th of next year which i believe is like four games to go before the end of the season or something like that. And that could very well have massive implications because who knows yeah. where each team will be. But with that being said, Rian, let's talk about the rest of not the top three anymore, but let's focus a little bit farther down the, the table. And I mean, quite literally one spot down the table. Arsenal have made a great, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but just such a turnaround basically since, we'll call it after the Liverpool game. I know they lost United, yeah. right? 3-2, the end of November. 
but they. But I think that game. Uh, I'm sorry, as, as you might say, like that game was. There were some positives to take from that. There were game. there were a lot of positives, and I think some of those, like bright spots, really came out in their midweek game against West Ham, and mm-hmm. that game was probably the moment where a lot of people in the Premier League said, "Okay, maybe there's a real chance that Arsenal can make the top." <laughs> Or now because they are quite literally beating sides that would compete for them and that was I think the biggest thing that Arsenal were missing outside of you know absolutely dunking on your nourishes of the world but beyond that that's what they needed they needed to beat teams that were directly competing with them um, yeah. so my question is I guess would you <laughs> would you actually bet on Arsenal finishing in fourth place now um, I, I, I think one of the other things I was thinking, as you said, like, Arsenal's turnaround has basically come since, like, one of the things that popped into my head since they stopped playing Aubameyang, really. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he's, well, since he's pretty much put himself out of contention to play, I shouldn't just say they just stopped playing him. It's, I know. The situation has uh, become cl- very close, very similar to the Ozil, last days of Ozil, sad. honestly. Like... Yeah. Um, <laughs> And maybe maybe a discussion for another day, uh, the, <laughs> the downfall of, of Paramic Aubameyang. But um, to answer your question, uh, so betting wise, like the actual sports book, and these are these are the odds from FanDuel. Um, Manchester United are still sitting at minus one hundred five to finish in the Champions League spots, but Arsenal have jumped up to second in those. Um, odds at plus 260 which is not bad but um, you think about the teams around them Spurs are at plus 430 and West Ham at plus 700 I think West Ham are we saw during that midweek game they um, they're missing their entire first choice back line due to injuries and COVID and you see similar to what happened in Leicester in the last couple years when those teams that we already had question marks about just their depth. So that that was really always the biggest question about those clubs, like Leicester and West Ham starting eleven. The way they're playing, we're good enough to be a top four side, but um, it's a long season. You always go. There's always going to be injuries, and unfortunately, now you have injuries and COVID to combat, and that's just you know throwing more variability into all of this. Who knows who's ready for any particular game and how many players are playing because they're basically forced to because of injuries or, or because of COVID. Um, and, and that's just going to make it really difficult for West Ham. We saw during midweek missing those players, the drop-off is just steeper than any of the other teams fighting for top four. So um, for Spurs, I don't, for Spurs, it just, I just think talent wise, they might, they might not make that top four. Um, Conte is a fantastic coach, and I think they've been actually like markedly much, much better since he's come in, and as you would expect. Uh, so I think ultimately it'll be between United, Arsenal, and Spurs. And for me, I still, I am still betting on United because I, I, I also said there's like a, a couple, like I also said, yeah, he, Elias is not not happy with that. <laughs> um, I also said this like I think about maybe two weeks before Ole was sacked. But I tweeted something along the lines of as soon as United get a competent coach, this team is probably going to kind of cruise (laughs) back into the top four. And granted, it hasn't been 
all been cruise control. Yeah. And yeah, it hasn't been all ups. I, there's there's obviously this the period here where they they need to fully get um up to what Ralph Rangnick wants them to do. But you you've seen signs of it already that they are pressing in a more coor- in in a coordinated fashion. I shouldn't just say more coordinated. There was no coordination to their press previously. And now their attack is also way more organized as well. And you're seeing a guy like James Sancho benefit from some sort of organization with the ball. Um, (laughs) So I I think they're still my favorite to, I still think that that is at worst the fourth best team in the league. I I think the the biggest issue they're going to have, I think is that midfield. Um, it's I, I can't say for sure they have a better midfield. I don't think I, I, they I don't, don't think they have a better midfield than Narsal. I just I just don't think no, they do. No, they, no, they so, don't. And and it's mostly because of one particular Scottish lad <laughs> who has all even, the desire and passion. It's not even in the world. Fred anymore. That's no, yeah. Fred's been gotten. Fred Fred a definite beneficiary of, of Ralph Rangnick, I think. Uh, of some organization and you know his his energy to high press i think has been really helpful but um you can't get away from the just the, the just poor <laughs> passing ability of of that two as a pair um and fred's and fred's been okay it's just you know like like i said mctominay is a real tough spot and and uh the options aren't great there playing the Matic is not necessarily an upgrade in that <laughs> sense so and pogba is not and Pog was not nah. available, and well, no, no, he's not even naturally fit for that position. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah, 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 and I, exactly. And I'm not sure that Rangnick would play Pogba as as part of that double pivot anyway. No, um, so I think that's going to be that. That is that's the hope for Arsenal and Spurs. Ultimately, I think I think both of them. Uh, I think Spurs have at worst as good a midfield. I think as, as United probably like um, probably just about the same liabilities um certain players so yeah i I do think arsenal have a great chance they have no um european competitions they which actually really might benefit them of course i mean honestly i'm just thinking about the covid side of this too less traveling less traveling to to other places and and, you know chance for injuries also goes down of course but um i think they've got a chance. I think they've got a good chance. I still think they're a good team defensively. Um, mm. As they've always I, better. I mean, better, better. better. They've been better. They've been better since basically, you know, guys like Pablo Mari yep. and <laughs> and Rob Holding are not starting games. So yes. that that's a big big help. Obviously, this is the um, last thing I'll say on Arsenal. But I've never understood the obsession with Rob Holding um, in their back line. Like I not just, a clue uh, either. Yeah. Not a clue. Um, hey, not for me to, yeah. <laughs> to die on that sword. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I so answer your question. No, I wouldn't bet on them, but I actually do think that the chances are a bit better than um, than you might think, maybe. Um, how, how about you, Ali? So would you... Would you put down some money? It's good. It's decent value. Plus, would I put down money? Put down, uh, put down yeah. 100 to win 260? Like, it's not... It's not terrible it's not bad value it's not bad value but i don't know if i would do it just yet because i think the point differential between arsenal west ham and united is still still too small for yeah. me to to do that i mean and you have to think about united has two games in hand as well like yeah they're, they're 
five points behind Arsenal, two games in hand. And West Ham also have a game in hand. So, yeah. like, so. yeah, I, I think sometimes we get confused. I don't know, four games that. in hand I, should also be noted. And and they're six points behind. So, you know, it, it's I a think, little misleading. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the table is, is misleading right, right now. Sure. This is yeah. a very similar situation to where we were last year when City were like ninth, but they also <laughs> yeah. had like four <laughs> games in hand. And then yeah. once they just, as you would expect, won them, everyone was like, where did they come from? It's like, oh, okay, yeah. just kind of math. But, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, to answer your question, I would probably not bet on Arsenal finishing. Yeah. Not because I don't think they can, but more so that I think that there's a better chance of other teams kind of leapfrogging them um kind of for the reasons we just mentioned there's other than that i'm i'm like actually very happy to see arsenal on the up because i think that having them in the europa league next season at least as a start would be really really good step forward for um for the side right now so and the chemistry up top right now looks very good like um Look, Martin Martinelli has taken his chance really well. Two really good finishes over the weekend. Oh, yeah. And um, Martin Odegaard bringing back some classic number 10 play, which we, we don't <laughs> see, which we haven't seen in a while. He's very happy for him. And um, and yeah, I think that I think that the, the team, honestly, without Aubameyang in it just feels more refreshing honestly in attack so hate to see it but that's yeah. all that yeah, yeah that's that's all that's all we can say for right now so all things considered i think the top four race is is gonna be as it has been the last few years kind of a bloodbath and kind of a shit <laughs> show and and um and a lot of fun so ah the best yeah, yeah. well Rian, we have to move to another side that's not necessarily in contention for top four right now but i say that right now because god knows what could happen Aston Villa. Um, Villa, obviously a side that lost one of their stars and one of their, probably their best player. Um, They unsurprisingly (laughs) dipped in form for the first quarter of the season. Um, As you'd imagine, when you have as many injuries and you have as many, I guess, changes going on the side. But as of late, even towards or even before Steven Gerrard came in, you saw players like Fornals. You saw players really step into kind of their own individual talent. And I feel like they produced more than what they, what was expected of them, not as a team, but more so as individuals. And since Steven Gerrard's come into this side, we're talking about a team that has, I believe won twice and drawn how many times in the in the league they've got their <laughs> maybe four four wins four, four wins, wins two draws sorry two losses and their, their yep. only losses were to manchester city and liverpool exactly exactly so a pretty pretty decent start for steven gerrard in um in his premier league coaching career so i guess my question for you rian is has he actually started to turn the uh turn the the tide the villains the i think that's i think the nickname of the villains the yeah yeah exactly um turn around yeah um uh, yeah i think i think it's hard to say otherwise you know they i think one of the things that he stressed when he came in was they've got to be harder to beat defensively right and first um 12 games under first 
12 games under um, Dean Smith this season. They only had three games where they allowed an XG of under one. And in the six games since Steven Gerrard has come in, the only two games where they've allowed greater than uh, XG of one was against Leicester and Liverpool. Uh, the, the last game they ended up winning. Yeah, they've they've been a team that and, and no one's ever gonna um no one's ever gonna fall you for allowing chances to Liverpool, of course. So, <laughs> so you know that, that's a game where they lost on a penalty as well. Uh, so could it go either way? The thing that's been like really impressive under them has been how tough they are to be, and I'm not saying in a way where they're playing defensively. Um, I think it's helped that they've gotten Douglas Louise back and John McGinn has been fantastic as he usually is. They're just a team that seems more solid in their foundation. And now like going forward, it's, it's funny. Like there are a couple things that I noticed that seem um, similar to Liverpool's style of play. And I, I know Steven Gerrard has talked a lot about uh, Klopp in the past the the way that they use their fullbacks, especially guys like uh, Matty Cash, who has been very good this season, and and there's like a real emphasis on using their fullbacks and trying to create space in the channels for a guy like Buendia, who also since Steven Gerrard's come in has seen more of more influence in the game, and and that is nice to see because he was really really good in the championship last year and a lot of people were excited for his step into the Premier League this year it's been all all positives for for Villa so far and I think it's nice to see that they're in a position where it feels like they should be right even with the loss of Steven Gerrard those players that they brought in are still good players and it's still a team that should finish in the top half and be really difficult to beat as they have been in in these first six games so far so yeah I I think he's doing great work and feels like a team that going into the second half of the season as they get more acclimated to Stim Jard's um, tactics and kind of trying to build the chemistry between each other still I'm sure there's still a lot of that going on with all the new players that came in this team feels like one that can challenge for one of these Europa League conference league spots as well, too. So, you know what I'm very curious about with, with Villa is knowing their upcoming schedule between now and basically the beginning of January, they play Chelsea, whatever is left of Leeds, um, Brentford (laughs) and United twice. And one is in the FA cup and one is in the league. Obviously, their first game of the season was uh, a win against United. And I'm very curious to see now, having two coaching changes since then, what that kind of looks like for for both these teams. And I think both of those games against United will be really, really telling in terms of can Villa withstand a run of consistency now? Um, Because that's where that's where you can actually challenge for the Europa League. That's where you can challenge for kind of a conference league spot, if you will. So, yeah, that's what I'm very curious about. All right. With that, uh, I think Elias, last question here before we uh, head to a break. And we've been seeing a lot of rising positive cases of covid <laughs> in in the u.s obviously but it's if you can imagine much worse in the uk right now oh, yeah. um 
we had one game of Premier League uh, yesterday on Saturday. All the rest were postponed. I think there's been almost around 10 games in this past week postponed. Um, we had another one postponed today. Elias, it seems like the clubs are going to speak about this in the next couple of days, but I just wanted to quickly get your thoughts on whether you think the Premier League should take some sort of forced break now. Um, fans still in the stadiums. We've seen in Germany that they've reverted that. There are no fans in the stadiums anymore in Germany, and, and uh, most of the other leagues have their winter breaks coming up anyway, something that the Premier League doesn't have. Does it feel like they should probably take some sort of break to give themselves a chance of um, not having to postpone 60% of the games every week, pretty much? <laughs> well, I, I will I will repeat two things, right? First and foremost is a general rule of thumb on health and wellness as put forward by almost all scientists in the world. Uh, get vaccinated. Uh, that's the best way to preventing the spread from preventing um, other people, players, staff, generally speaking, a country in a world from delving back into a quarantine of any sort. And that's probably the Premier League's best path forward in terms of how they go about that politically and asking people to get vaccinated. That's not my job. And I don't think I'm going to comment on that because it should be pretty straightforward, but somehow it is not. And then I'll say the second thing is, I think Jurgen Klopp said it best, is if a player is not vaccinated at all, he is a constant threat. And so what do you do with a league that I believe is somewhere around 60% fully vaccinated versus comparing to the other top five leagues where they're ranking percentages above 90%. And none of those other leagues are having these sort of COVID outbreak issues. Now, individual teams are, don't get me wrong, but it's not forced the cancellation or postponement of, of several games. So to answer your question, should the Premier League look at to a short, look into a short-term cancellation or break or brief pause on things? Should they change stadium policies? As of a couple of minutes ago, Rian, um, I'm giving you live updates from our friendly people over at Twitter. It looks like the Premier League is looking into that for the end of the year. And so I think that I, I think that would be a good idea in terms of allowing players to get back up to health, the ones that are in COVID protocol, but that's not going to necessarily change the long-term issue, which is people will continue to get sick so long as people are not taking the most action possible. It really, that's what it comes down to because you can take the pause now, but what if the same thing happens again in February? It's not going to change much. So thoughts? No, no, I no, t- totally agree with, with all of that. I think like, one other thing to think about too is <laughs> something that um, Jurgen Klopp and, and uh, Thomas Tuchel touched on today, which is right now the situation is that if <laughs> some players, if the game is not postponed, are being pretty much forced to play unfit or coming back off of an injury. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, it's very much um, the opposite of what this was all supposed to be like the protocols and stuff are supposed to be for about to be supposed to be for player safety. And um, 
if we're kind of dropping the ball on both ends, like obviously the players are not enough of the players are out there and um, getting vaccinated. And at the same time, the league is not taking the full steps necessary to protect them from other injuries and from um, being forced to be put in a situation where they could get injured and also having all this uh, staff and everyone there um having to interact with each other in these situations it's it's just kind of a snowball effect that we're seeing in these last like seven days and um that makes sense for the league to seriously consider taking um a mini break or just pushing things back a bit so we'll see what happens in the next couple days and um, i'm sure we'll hear a lot more but i think that's it for the premier league um today at least should we, should we head to a break and come I back? Need, and, I need a mental break. I need, jump, I need to like get a, <laughs> a breath of fresh air and then I'll come back and talk about the lovely good. Oh, gee, I don't do Okay, we'll talk about it in a second. <laughs> all right. All right. I, I, I can't even talk anymore, Rian. Um, yeah, let's talk about Spain. Let's talk about La Liga. Where do you where do you want to start? You know what? I'll toss it to you. Where do you want to start? <laughs> no, how no how painful is this going to be? <laughs> no worry. We won't we won't jump into full Barcelona. Oh, thank yet. you. <laughs> um, no, let's let's start at the top of the league, where Real Madrid have opened up. I believe a, it's a, is an eight point lead as of it, right it now. It was it was an eight point lead. Um, it was keyword. I know we're speaking as Madrid are playing right now. I, I know, but it's more so that after the Sevilla Atletico game, in which Luxa Campos scored in the dying seconds, um, that's since changed, right? And now it's a it's a six point lead. But six point lead, yeah, six point lead over Sevilla. There's been this this weird, weird dichotomy here where. Obviously, there are some standout individual performances um, from Real Madrid this season, <laughs> chiefly Vin- Vinicius Jr. Just, <laughs> you know, uh, just just putting it together, really, just making the leap this, this season is the best way to put it. And Karen Benzema still being fantastic. Same with Lucas Ma- Luka Modric. Um, and just in general, Real Madrid's midfield just being as good as ever. But there's this other side of it where if you look at the underlying statistics for Real Madrid, it tells another story. Um, Second to Barcelona in expected goals, although they're fourth in expected goals per 90 in in La Liga, which is still not where you'd expect the top team to be. Um, Also ninth in expected goals allowed, and they have the second highest goals to expect expected goals over performance in the top five leagues, just second to Lazio. So at least it begs the question, are Real Madrid actually as good as the table tells us? Or is it also an issue of, or maybe more of an issue of the competition being not nearly as efficient, ruthless, um, or just generally solid as Real Madrid? Is is it... Is it a cop-out if I say also not nearly as lucky 
as as them not in like a scandalous way not in like a oh they had a dodgy penalty here or a, a weird free kick placement there more along the lines of it blows my mind that a team with the fourth most expected goals and a team that is second to Barcelona in the highest number of expected goals is in first right and and by a good margin not like this yeah. isn't this isn't something where they're tied or or on points or a one or two point this is a six point gap from the nearest team granted Sevilla have a game in hand um, because they play Barcelona in the middle of the week but even then that's not a guaranteed win for Sevilla so back to your question Real Madrid haven't been lucky in like a like I said a scandalous sense they've been lucky in the sense that Vinicius Jr. Benzema and really Luka Modric have all hit their stride at the exact same time. And I think what that's led to is even while Benzema was out with kind of a small injury um, in and out the last two to three weeks, someone else has picked up the slack in some way. And you're starting to see the effects of something we talked about two years ago, Rian. We talked about how we were looking at a Real Madrid squad. Remember when they were knocked out of the Champions League the last two years that we said it's aging, right? They're a squad that need replenishment. They're a squad that, Florentino Perez has not spent money on right two summers ago. He didn't spend any money right on by any players. And now, now you're starting to see where that money from what he saved has gone into. It's gone into basically one of two buckets. One was his last, this past summer where Camavinga came in, right? You saw a couple of additional, um, you know, added um, players. Alaba, of course, being the obvious one, not, for any money, but still an additional player. And the second bucket is your Holland and Bappe bucket for next summer. And so the reason why I bring up those two things here is because the addition of Alaba, especially, and, and even Militao, right, you're starting to see as well, have really solidified Real Madrid at the back. And Vinicius Jr. has finally fallen under a manager who I feel like is properly utilizing him the exact same position over and over again, right? Not to say that Carlo Ancelotti is the reason why Real Madrid are where they are, because I actually don't think he is. I think it's largely because he knows how to get the best out of each individual player. And Vinicius Jr. and Benzema, I think, have benefited the most from that. And two players who have, I believe, both hit double-digit goals now in the league, if I'm not mistaken. I know Benzema has, if not Vinicius Jr., sitting on eight or nine. But that's i think the majority of the reason it's those individual players are hitting the stride at the right time and also like you said at the end of your question these other teams in the top six have underperformed right having and real madrid have overperformed right so so it's a combination of both of those things i would also argue and i'm sure we'll get to this in a second the two teams that i can see challenging real madrid for the title have been the most inconsistent and of course, I'm talking about Sevilla and Atletico Madrid because I don't really know what to make of Atletico's recent form. They've lost their last three and Sevilla have won their last three. And prior to that, it seemingly was like both of their scripts were flipped. So it's a solid balance for, for Real Madrid. <laughs> yeah, you're getting a little ahead of yourself on the on the next question. But mm-hmm. but I guess that's a decent enough segue. Um, I think the only thing I'll... I'll leave off of, um, from Madrid is that I think you make a great point with um, how Carlo Ancelotti has gotten Vinicius and you know there are other big players to just to 
play really well. The thing he is most well known for is he finds a way to get his best players in positions that help that benefit them the most. Um, and he's done it again here. And to throw in like something else like, from um, one of Michael Cox's articles from last week uh, after the Atletico game, he's even thrown in some new like tactical wrinkles where like Ferland Mendy and Danny Carvajal are doing that thing that a lot of the top teams do now where they move into midfield and it's creating yeah. more space for a guy like Vinicius and, and Asensio as well. Like those guys are benefiting from the space that is now given to them. And it's just small things like that, that I, we talked about this at the beginning of the season. I wasn't sure if Carlo Ancelotti was, was still uh, a coach anymore. I mean, it was probably <laughs> harsh, but probably harsh to judge anyone on Everton. I'm realizing now, but it it is um it's been great to see like uh guys like Vinicius especially make that leap and I expect I expect by the end of the season too it's gonna like Camavinga as well will will play some role um but anyway as I said it was a great segue Elias into <laughs> speaking about Atletico Madrid who as you said dropped more points this weekend in a big big game between second and and fifth Atletico themselves being the team in fifth, um, losing to Sevilla, a Lucas Acampos goal in, I believe it was the 89th minute. Um, slightly kind of against the run of play of that second half, at least. Very much. Right. Um, yeah. But Sevilla, <laughs> Sevilla, again, find a way to pick up points where it, it, from one, the, the first goal by Rakitic was just an unstoppable hit. And, and like scoring goals out of nothing and finding ways to pick up wins when they haven't really played that well, realistically. I mean, defensively, I think they've been good, but they're not creating a lot of chances. And, um, and they don't seem like a team that should be in second right now either in the same way that uh, Real Madrid see from the underlying numbers it seems seem um, a bit surprised that they're in first, but between those two teams, Elias Sevilla and Atletico, who do you think is looking more likely to make a title challenge? Yeah, this is honestly probably like my more fun question for the season. Um, just generally speaking, I feel like Sevilla have added so much talent in the last year and a half to this team that they are on paper a top three side, easily a top three side. Atletico are also easily a top three side on paper. I would argue their squad on paper is better than Sevilla's. Now, of of course, the best one in the league, arguably. Arguably best in the league. (laughs) But of course, the caveat to that is their biggest problem as in Atletico's this season, I feel like has been Diego Simeone, which is not something that I expected to say or expected to feel. So honestly, when you go and ask the question of who has a better chance of competing with Real Madrid, I'm going to say it's Sevilla, not because I think they are a better team or, or I think they're, uh, they have better players, but I think they are a better cohesive team. Now uh, I might come back and bite my words there because I think Marcus Acuna and Lucas Acampos both were injured yesterday in their game against Atletico. And those are two massive losses. So we'll see how long they're out for, but yeah, the Acampos t- one looks scary. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. To yeah. I, I actually, I genuinely don't know what, happened there yeah I can um, I can tell either but he was stretchered off at the end of the game after scoring so 
I, I'll say that I am more excited by the prospect of Sevilla pushing Real Madrid to the end. I have concerns about their consistency. I mean, if you look at their last several run of games, right, especially we'll say t- we'll say in the last month and a half specifically, they've lost to Real Madrid. They have beaten Villarreal and they beat Bilbao, but they were conveniently knocked down into the Europa League by Salzburg, which is something <laughs> something that is just a running meme at this point for them. Yeah, but they I, want to win their cup. They want to win the Sevilla Cup. I, I so know, it's so, I know. It's, and you can't win it if final, you're in the Champions League. I know. Knockout Europa, stages. <laughs> Europa League final is in their stadium, uh, Sanchez Pichuan. So we'll see how that goes. But I do think that Sevilla have a better team. And I think that one of the most exciting parts about their team is I, I don't know what's going to happen with this player, but I'm very excited if he stays at Sevilla and that's Jules Koundé. Um, I thought yesterday in the Atletico game, a player who's been so, so incredibly consistent at a top level for Sevilla, he was immaculate. And one of my favorite parts of his game is being able to bring the ball out from the back and essentially act as a right back at times when needed. And not to say that Sevilla need that, but at a time in that game yeah. where Atletico were pushing them back and pushing them back, and especially the entrance of João Felix, who I'll get into in a second, um, really started to change the tide for Atletico in their favor. Kunde handled that so, so well. Um, the versatility but, is un- unbelievable. Yeah, I get why Chelsea wanted him. Of course, it makes perfect sense. So I, I'm very excited by the prospect of Sevilla. As it relates to Atletico, I don't think they've figured out to this to this day in the last four months what their starting 11 should be right DePaul for example started on the bench in this game a decision that I can't seem to figure out Marcus Lorente went off due to injury and seemingly by the end of this game João Felix was playing with I don't even really know it was basically Cunha and Lamar or Carrasco yeah like yeah. it wasn't there was no structure was, yeah, to Atletico. Basic, yeah, Cunha, Cunha and, um, and Felix playing up top and, yeah, Car- Carrasco from the left. It, there was no structure, Rian. There was literally, like, it was a conglomerate of players. And I remember very vividly, and this has been a microcosm of the entire season, there was a gap between their front line and the middle, like, yeah. their midfield. Like, a very, like, a Sevilla-filled line. And <laughs> I don't know how Simeone's trying to play that, I thought that one of their only outlets was down the left-hand side to Carrasco or through Lamar, basically running through the middle and seeing what can happen. But I'm still of the opinion that João Felix and Griezmann are probably their two best options going forward right now. And Suarez off the bench. And I'll go back to your original question. I think the biggest reason why Atletico won't challenge Real Madrid right now isn't because they're standing at the table, but it's their, their lack of ability to, put in a consistent set of performances right now yeah I, I there's there's a greater conversation to be had now about this atletico team and and before we jump onto them i do want to give credit to sevilla who as i said they, they've been picking up results um they're kind somehow of, they're running they're running a bit hot in terms of their underlying stats like it's it's um they're fifth in terms of expected goals allowed and bang in the middle in, in expected goals. And 
they're kind of winning these games on margins, as we saw, yeah. especially that game against Athletic on the margins. Um, Atletico, the the conversation that may need to be had is this unbelievable group of attacking players, so much talent, a team that should really be um, creating more. They're eighth, eighth in terms of expected goals. They're sitting behind <laughs> Athletic Bilbao and Villarreal, who. I mean, the Villarreal one is even crazier. They're somehow third in the league. But sitting behind Bilbao, who I think have had a lot of troubles going forward. Oh, yeah. Um, in terms of attack, sitting behind basically every other top four rival. It's unacceptable, really. And and I think the the conversation is really, can Diego Simeone actually put together a cohesive attack that that fits these players really because you look at the players they have now it's not necessarily a team that's set up to be um fantastic on the counter this this is those players are so technical and um so good actually in possession like with the ball it's a team that probably needs to possess the ball more and and um i know a guy like rodrigo de paul is could be fantastic on on counters as well, of course, because he's got great range in his passing. But uh, a guy like Joao Felix, who, because he's a special player, uh, special talent, he could obviously be amazing on the counter, but you see it in these games when he comes on and it's games that they're chasing. So naturally they have the ball more. He's electric. He's the, he's the one who's, who pulls defenders out of position. I think that's the best way to put it. He pulls defenders out of position because he's so good at carrying and holding the ball and um, being able to lay it off onto his teammates too. And I think they're probably a bit disappointed at that second half because he had a few chances to either score himself or get an assist. And, and that's probably what's disappointing about that second half against Sevilla. But as a whole, the team should be creating more. Like they're still very good defensively as you'd expect. Um, best in the league and one of the best in Europe still but you look at the players it doesn't feel like it's a great mesh of style of the of the manager versus the wealth of talent um in attack so that's that's a difficult question that uh (laughs) that Simeone is gonna have to figure out himself over the break because it can't keep going like this it just can't no not at all not at all and he has basically all the pieces he needs that's the that's the concerning part like nothing necessarily needs to change with the squad in terms of talent at least so and to be fair they've been dealing with injuries um Kondogby has had to play center back in the yeah, last couple that's, weeks yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, to be fair to them and, and at least these but, last but at the week same or time, so but like everyone everyone has had to deal with that exactly right exactly. it's not yeah it's not yeah I'll, I'll say it's just a it, it's been like this for a while this yeah. isn't necessarily new from so there, Rian, where do we uh, go next yeah no um i think from there elias one of the the last things we'll touch on today we finally have to speak about barcelona i'm sorry do i'm we very ha- sorry right, fine no we, let's let's do it to. yeah let's do it <laughs> we have to um 
some mixed signals from the first few weeks uh, under Shafi. <laughs> um, seeing a lot of ups and downs within games, within 10 minute spans in games themselves. Um, as we saw this past weekend where Barcelona cruise control the first half up to nil could have been more. And then within literally 10 minutes, everything kind of goes to shit <laughs> and, um, and they find themselves having to, to get a last minute winner from one of the children again, Nico. Um, I, th- I think the positives have, have been really great is, which is, there's an obvious future there for that midfield with um, Nico Gonzalez, um, Gavi, and you know we haven't seen Pedri in the last few weeks because of injuries, but um, obvious positives there. The downside is they're um, they're not winning a lot of these games because <laughs> <laughs> because of a certain person or persons in the back. Um, that are having issues playing their position. So at least it's, it's kind of begged the question with Barcelona sitting in seventh, um, sitting only three points off of fourth place at the moment. Game but in hand, place game to be in at hand the as well. Yep. Of course. Um, it, it's potentially too early for this question, but wanted to ask at this point is it more likely do you think for Barcelona to finish in the top four or win the Europa League and guarantee their Champions League spot next season in that fashion I'll answer the question immediately and then I'll go into why it is more likely for Barcelona to finish in the top four of La Liga and I'll explain why the Europa League features a lot of teams that Barcelona do not come up against it also features a lot of different styles of play that I don't think Barcelona are used to playing against, especially at fields where they probably don't want to go to that opens the door to a lot more risk. And I think it opens a door to potential heartbreak when it comes to one-off games or or even two-legged games. Now, when you're talking about kind of the round of 32 in the Europa league and then the round of 16, which I know the Europa league has an extra round of that, I think, is something that Barcelona could very thoroughly get through. Now, I don't know if they'll be able to get past Napoli. (laughs) That's the other thing, because that's their opponent in the next round of the Europa League. But I do have a little bit of faith that if they are able to get past Napoli, then they can make a good run in the Europa League, which is just a bizarre sentence for me to say, because I've knew very little about the Europa League up until this season. So... This is how I kind of am looking at things for Barcelona um, from the Europa League. When it comes to La Liga, and this is why I think they actually have a a better chance at making top four. La Liga will feature more losses and draws for Barcelona's future between now and the end of the season. That is bound to happen. But I have more faith in a plan where Xavi is able to execute week after week on specific games and specific game plans versus one-off games that could essentially go either way, depending on the day. And given that they are only three points off of fourth place with a game in hand, of course, that game in hand is against Sevilla. So we'll see how that goes on Tuesday. I have more, more faith that just the consistency or potential number of games that they could play. There's a higher probability of wins in there 
versus even getting past Napoli is going to be hard. So that's part of my reasoning. Um, I mean, the, the, you you said this is the last thing I'll say. Barcelona are on the right path. They do have a bright future. You're also you mentioned Pedri, but they're also missing Prodigal Son and Ansu Fati. So like there are missing parts of this team, but the back line absolutely needs to be figured out as well as potentially the goalkeeping position right now. So, yep, I uh, I I agree that they're on the right track, but it is painful. <laughs> Yeah, and I think honestly, I'm going to agree with you that their their best chance is probably through um through the league. Yep. That that being said, I don't know if I would necessarily bet on them finishing in the top four. That's uh, a whole but, other thing. That wasn't yeah, the question. That's a different, to be fair. That wasn't the question though. That wasn't the question. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just just looking at who's in the Europa leagues. Uh, even if they were to get past Napoli, I Ugh. shudder to. I what actually happens post Napoli? I don't know what happens. I, I think it would they would go into a draw, another draw of uh, who oh they, god. Hey, but you know, just looking at the teams that have to play in that in um those first leg of games because I believe that the group winners in the Europa League have a bye more or less um in this first oh, round. Okay, so okay. just looking at the teams that are playing in these games, shudder. I shudder to. Think about what happens if they were to even draw uh, Leipzig or, or <laughs> <laughs> draw Leipzig or uh, Porto, who gave Atletico Madrid oh God, hell Atletico on that fits. last game. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, even even Real Betis. At, at some who they point, just lost to at home. Just lost to, yep. And I don't even want to think about what could happen if they came up against Atalanta. So it, it's... <laughs> it's that would it, it's it's really not the Europa League isn't looking like a kind of a playground for for a team like Barcelona as it would have in, in years past it's the teams that drop down now into the Europa League seem to be getting better and better each year for some reason so yeah. um it, it's that that is not nearly the the same level of competition as it has been in the past so I think some things that Barcelona can kind of take as um, a positive and potential for finishing the top four is that they do lead the league in XG. Their defending hasn't been terrible. It's fourth. Um, they have they have been unlucky. I'll give yeah. them that. They have been unlucky. Yeah, but... I mean, they're they're bang mid table in terms of actual goals allowed, and 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 that could say something more about the types of goals they're giving up. And I mean, a lot of and honestly the the goals that they end up giving up are are really simple and those are like the only chances that they might give up in the game and yet yeah. it, it looks it looks just terrible defending when it does happen and it usually is but um there are positive signs I, I still think the issue is probably the striker position where memphis has been great for the vibes and um and at times been great been very great like in moments but you know, he's there, he's not the guy, I think. Right. I, I think going forward, he's not it doesn't seem like he he quite has honestly the talent to to carry the team or to carry the load of scoring goals. There's obviously a great player there. Um, but 
he's probably not uh, a guy you can necessarily rely on carrying this Barcelona team as constructed currently to the top four. Right. And that's um, not that's not even a knock on him. It's exactly. just more of a knock on the situation. And for a team that needs th- this team desperately just needs goal. Well, they don't even they desperately need to stop conceding goals, but yes, they also them, yeah. they do need to score more volume of goals. Yep. And I think there's a reason why they're looking at players like Cavani and yeah. Ferran Torres, right? For kind of a natural out and out winger. So yeah. I, I and I don't I don't think Memphis fits either of those profiles. <laughs> no. And, and, you know, the, the great thing about it when he came in is that they, they had someone who was ready to take the responsibility. And, and I think that's been helpful in its own sense. But, um, yeah, ultimately, what matters is, is actually getting the results. And right now it's not happening. And it's not necessarily Memphis Depay's fault, not, not really his fault at all. Like you said, it's, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's just about everyone involved with defending Barcelona at the <laughs> it's, moment. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Well, with that, Rian, why don't we wrap it up? It's good to get back into the swing of things. So, ladies and gentlemen, with that, we'll wrap up. We might have a special podcast coming out towards Christmas later this week. We'll see, uh, we'll see how things go, but that's the current plan. With that, enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy some time off if you're able to take it. And most, most importantly, stay safe and healthy. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys.